Welcome to episode 34, Introduction to Mindfulness and Meditation by Frank Baird, licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed professional clinical counselor. From Clearly Clinical, learn, grow, shine. Hi, I'm Frank Baird. I'm a California licensed marriage and family therapist, California licensed professional clinical counselor. I'm also a UCLA Mindful Awareness Research Center certified mindfulness facilitator. I'm founder and lead teacher at Nowhouse Mindful Awareness Center. And I teach meditation to corporate staff through corporate wellness programs to therapy clients, and to community members in a variety of settings. I'm here today to tell you a bit about mindfulness and meditation and how these practices can be useful to you and your clients. So here's the idea about mindfulness. Whatever you're paying attention to in the present moment is going to have the biggest impact on your experience of the present moment. Or really more accurately, what could be said is whatever you're paying attention to in the present moment is your experience in the present moment. So an example of that would be something like this. Let's say you're feeling really, 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 really stressed out. I don't know if that's enough really, 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 reallys, but you're really, 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 really feeling stressed out and you need a break from the stress. And your idea of a good break is to get away on vacation. So let's say your idea of a good vacation is to get away to a cabin in the woods next to a lake. So you research, you explore, you find this place and you go there. And let's say one day on this vacation, you're sitting outside the cabin and you're feeling the warmth of the sun. You're smelling the fresh air. Maybe you hear the sound of birds. Maybe you feel a slight breeze blowing on your skin. Or maybe you hear the sound of a slight breeze rustling the leaves in the trees. Maybe you're looking at the way the light plays off the surface of the lake. Maybe you're watching clouds drifting by. If this is what you're paying attention to, you're going to be having a particular kind of experience. If you're doing what a lot of us do, however, and you're sitting in this environment, and you're thinking about all the miserable stuff that you escaped from, so you're remembering it, or you're thinking about all the miserable stuff you have to go back to, you're anticipating it, or if you're like me and you have a really, really rich imagination, you're thinking of the 10,000 awful, hideous things that are going on in your life or could go on, and then you're going to be having a very different kind of experience. If this is what you're paying attention to, you'll be having a very different experience. So something that would be nice to know is that in that moment, in this example, my suffering is because of what I'm paying attention to. I'm paying attention to those thoughts. Those thoughts, understandably, predictably, bring up certain emotions In the presence of those thoughts and those emotions, my body is going to get configured in a particular way that involves a lot of uh, tension and tightness. So if I knew that was what was causing my suffering, one of the things I might want to do, might choose to do, would be to redirect my attention, to disengage my attention from those thoughts and the emotions that are tangled up with those thoughts and the body tension that's tangled up with those emotions and those thoughts, I might choose to redirect my attention to where I am physically, where my body is in that moment. Look at the lake, smell the air, 
feel the breeze on my skin, whatever it is, that redirecting my attention would provide some relief from my suffering in that moment. So mindfulness helps you develop this awareness and this skill and gives you this choice, whether to keep doing what you were doing just because you were doing it, or whether to do something different. Now, this is easier said than done. This is why later on I'll be saying more about how important it is to practice because there's a reason it's so difficult to disengage our attention. There's more than just the awareness of where our attention is. There is also the skill at being able to disengage and redirect our attention. But this is how meditation can help. So I'll give you a wordy definition of mindfulness, and then later I'll give you a less wordy definition of mindfulness. The definition of mindfulness that I like comes from Diana Winston, the director of mindfulness education at UCLA's Mindful Awareness Research Center. Her definition of mindfulness is paying friendly attention to present time experience with openness and curiosity and a willingness to be with what is. So those are a lot of words, but they're important because they all point to something valuable to consider and to work with. So the first one is paying friendly attention. Most of us don't know how to pay friendly attention to our experience. Most of us are busy judging, and our experience is pretty much filled with like it, like it, like it, don't like, don't like, don't like. We're busy judging our experience and pretty rejecting of the things that we don't like. And here's an interesting thing. We don't even know often the thing that we like or don't like. What we mostly are aware of is whether we like it or not. So part of having a friendly attitude is, can I look at things differently with less judgment? I still might like or not like, but maybe you've had this experience. Um, you can be angry at an enemy and anger presents itself, gets enacted in a particular way that's different than when you're angry with someone you like or someone you love. The energy's a little different. It's still anger, but there's something different about it. And one of the things that's different is that when I'm angry with somebody that I like or love, I'm interested in maintaining the relationship. When I'm angry with an enemy, I'm wanting to get away from there or have them get away from me. So there's a kind of rejection that goes on. And it's kind of absolutist. Once and for all, be gone. But when I have a friendly attitude towards somebody that I have a friendly relationship with, I stay in close proximity. So having a friendly attitude, noticing that I like and don't like things, but really being willing and able to stay in connection with those things. So paying friendly attention to present time experience. There are several different components to present time experience. So there's phenomena out in the world or stimuli out in the world. And then I have thoughts. And I have feelings, emotions. And I have sensations. So these are the four different locations where something is going to be happening. Present time awareness in part means knowing where what is happening. A lot of times what we do is there's phenomena out in the world and then something goes on with me. I start having thoughts about it. I start having emotions about it. There are sensations in relation to that. And then what I end up paying attention to are my thoughts or my emotions or these sensations in my body. Like the phenomena can come and go, but I'm still thinking about it. Or I still have some emotion about it or some mood or attitude about it. Or I'm paying attention to something that's going on in my body and I don't even know that the phenomena came and went. So one of the benefits of 
present time awareness is noticing, oh, what am I focusing on right now? I'm focusing on thinking, thinking, thinking. I'm focusing on the phenomena out in the world, or I'm focusing on the emotions that are happening, and I can recognize the territory that it belongs to. Because if I'm thinking about something, it's important that I know the difference between the phenomena out in the world, the thing in itself, and what I think about it. What I think about it is just thinking. So even if the thinking points to something real and true, if what I'm paying attention to is the thinking, then I've lost contact with the actual thing in itself, the phenomena out in the world. My perception of reality is going to be less accurate. So part of what happens is then I start to be clearer about what's happening where. Now, one of the potential values of this is if there's something that I want to change, there's something I don't like and I want it to change, if any change effort I make is going to be more effective because it's going to be more accurate. Because if I think the phenomena in the world is the thing that needs my effort, but their phenomena in the world is just whatever it is, and really the problem is my attitude about it, my relationship to it, I'm not only going to not be effective in my change effort, I'm going to be making myself more frustrated or disappointed or angry because I'm making this effort to change, but the thing isn't changing because the problem isn't the thing in, the set in itself. The problem is my attitude about it. The problem is the thinking that I have about it, the conceptualizations I have about it. So this part of mindfulness helps me be more accurate in my reading of reality. So paying friendly attention to present time experience with openness and curiosity. Now the openness and curiosity is really related to how often we're not really that open and we're not really that curious. How often we are, well we like to be right, so how often we're busy being right instead of accurate. How often we're busy paying attention to whether we like something or don't like it instead of paying attention to what it is. So part of what happens with the openness and curiosity is it's an effort to read what really is, not just whether we like it or don't like it. So really check out the phenomena in the world and try to understand or know it as it instead of know whether I like it or not. Or if the phenomena that's happening is in my thinking, being open and curious to what that thinking is, not just whether I like it or don't, or don't like the thinking, but to be open and curious about the process of thinking, thinking happening as a process, or emotions happening as a process, physical sensations happening as a process and how they influence one another, how this sensation brings up this emotion, or this thought brings up this sensation, or whatever order it happens in. It doesn't have to happen in any particular order, and everything gets involved. If we have a thought about something, there's going to be some emotion. There's going to be some physical sensation. It doesn't matter where it starts. Our entire being ends up being involved. So the openness and curiosity is really an opportunity to go and check out what's really going on instead of just whether we like it, don't like it. And instead of just being right, like this is really familiar, I know what this is, instead of... I wonder if this is what I think it is, or I wonder if this is what I feel it is, or even more expansive than that is, what is this thinking? Oh, it's thinking. What are, what are these emotions? Oh, they're emotions. How are they affecting each other? So mindfulness is paying friendly attention to present time experience with openness and curiosity and a willingness to be with what is. A willingness to be with what is. Without the willingness to be with what is, we're still focused on whether we like it or not. 
Some people have a really hard time with this part in particular because a word we often use to describe it is acceptance. So if something's going on that I don't like, it's really difficult to accept that it's going on. Really what I try to do is stop it, get rid of it, get away from it, push it away, or run away. I think some of the reasons people have trouble with the word acceptance is because of a misunderstanding about what that is. Sometimes people think acceptance means you like it, or you asked for it, or you're condoning it. And acceptance doesn't mean any of that. Acceptance means it is what it is, and I accept that it is what it is, separate from whether I like it or not. Sometimes people have trouble with that part, too. I accept that I don't like it. Sometimes a word that is helpful for some people instead of acceptance, if that feels too demanding, too difficult, is the word acknowledge. Sometimes people use the word tolerate. What they like about the word tolerate is it acknowledges their attitude about whatever it is they're focused on. Some people use the word acknowledge because it doesn't seem to have so much uh, attitude attached to it. But really what we're practicing is acceptance. In order to get the most accurate reading of this thing for what it is, it helps to be in a place of, I don't need it to be any different so that I'm not busy trying to optimize it, fix it, correct it, change it. Instead, my effort is related to What is this in and of itself? Another reason people sometimes don't like the word acceptance is because they they think it implies passivity. So if, for example, something unjust is happening that we just sit and observe, and it doesn't mean that. I mean, that's what some people do with their uh, experience or understanding of acceptance but it doesn't necess- that's not a necessary implication. Really, I think what's more accurate is that if I am able to be with this thing as it is right here, right now, I have a most accurate understanding of what it is, most accurate knowledge of what it is, as accurate as I can be. And then if I'm going to do something about it, I know what to do something about. Am I doing something about the thing in itself? Or am I doing something about my thoughts about the thing or my feelings about the thing? Or sometimes it's not even the thing that's bothering me. It's the thoughts I have about the thing and then the emotions that I have about the thoughts about the thing. So I don't know if you've ever tried to be accepting of anything. It is absolutely not passive. It takes, sometimes it takes a lot of effort to be accepting. So all this is really related to, if I want something to change, having the wisdom to know, can it be changed? Can it be changed by me? And if the answer is yes, if I have the clarity of understanding, the clarity of knowing, then I'll make whatever effort I need to make to change that thing, whatever the thing is. And if I don't, then I won't waste my time and energy. And really, it's not just a waste of time and energy. I'm going to actively be producing frustration and irritation in me and anyone around me by trying to change the things that I can't change. So this willingness and effort to be with whatever it is is a great opportunity to know more accurately what it is. So that whole definition, once again, is mindfulness is paying friendly attention to present time experience with openness and curiosity and a willingness to be with what is. The shorter definition would be this. Whatever I'm doing, I know that I'm doing it. So when I'm walking, I know that I'm walking. When I'm breathing, I know that I'm breathing. Most of us have those things down because we've lived in our bodies our whole lives. 
But it really gets tricky when I'm thinking I know that I'm thinking because so often we think what we think is reality, right? So whatever it is I'm doing, I know that I'm doing it. And the benefit of this is I have a choice. I have a choice to either do what I'm doing or to do something else. So most of what we do is out of conditioning and habit. Mostly that works for us. The nice thing about conditioning and habits is that we don't have to consciously be thinking about it. These things just happen. What you get with mindfulness, though, is a choice. Because sometimes the things we've been doing aren't really working for us. Or maybe they worked for us at one point in our life, but they don't anymore. Or maybe they never really worked for us. They were just the best we could do. So what mindfulness does is it gives us the opportunity to be aware, oh, there's this momentum around this thought or this feeling or this action. And the choice about whether to do that or not. Now, sometimes I have the awareness that I have a choice, but I don't have the skill to enact the choice yet. An example of that would be anger. Maybe I'm aware that I have trouble with anger. I'd like to change my relationship with anger. And so I start practicing mindfulness. I become aware of the thoughts that start to escalate, the physical tension that starts to escalate that ends up getting me in trouble because I say things or yell things or I throw things or break things. And I might get to a place where I'm I have really good awareness of how that's building, but I don't yet have the ability to interrupt it, which can be really frustrating and disappointing. But I need that awareness. That's where the choice point comes in. So I don't yet have the skill, and I might at least have a knowledge of what skill I need to go develop. If what I'm aware of is here's the momentum of these thoughts and feelings, and I need to interrupt that, then I can go looking for ways to interrupt that. We all act out of our conditioning and our habits and reactivity and in pretty predictable ways. When something is pleasant, we want to reach for it. We want to hold on to it. We want to pull it closer to ourselves. We want to amplify it. And then when it starts to dissipate, because everything dissipates, nothing lasts forever, we can get sad, disappointed, upset. In relation to unpleasant things, we tend to lean away, we tend to try to get away or push it away. And when we can do that, great, but sometimes there are things that we can't get far enough away from, or we push it away, but it keeps coming back. So mindfulness helps you start to notice the pulling to you or pushing away from you and start to notice some of the ways that produces suffering in our lives. Meditation is a great way to practice mindfulness. It's not the only way to practice mindfulness. As I said at the beginning, we all have, we're all mindful sometimes. The goal of this effort is to be more mindful more often, more easily more regularly, and if you practice enough to start to have it be more of your default mode instead of just acting out of habit or conditioning or reactivity, instead of just acting in relation to whether we like something or we don't like something. Meditation is a great way to practice mindfulness. It's like going to a mind gym and doing a workout you get to practice doing some things that make it potentially more easy to notice and more easy to try out, to play around with or experiment with because you've set up the conditions that just support your engaging in the practice. I'm going to describe to you a mindfulness meditation. So I'll describe to you what you do, how you do it, but also the skills that you're practicing when you're meditating. There are lots of different kinds of meditation. 
There's concentration meditation. Maybe you've heard of transcendental meditation or TM. There are guided visualizations, lots of different kinds of meditation. I'm going to describe mindfulness practice. And even then, there are different ways you can do the meditation. You can do standing meditation. You can do walking meditation. You can do eating meditation. That one's really nice. You can do sitting meditation. That's the one I'm going to describe to you today. You can do lying down meditation. Though you have to be careful with a lying down meditation because it often turns into a nap. And while naps are really nice and really beneficial, you need to stay awake when you're meditating to practice the skills that I'm about to describe to you. Now, here's a little sidebar, which is you can use some meditation practices to help you go to sleep, but you need to make a distinction between I'm using them as relaxation practices or I'm practicing meditation. Again, the biggest difference is you need to stay awake when you're meditating. So the first thing you do when you're planning on meditating is you decide how long are you going to meditate and you find a place to do your meditation. You decide on the posture. If you're going to stand or walk, lay down or sit, I'm going to describe a sitting meditation. So you would find a comfortable chair and you would set a timer. Let's say you decide you're going to sit and meditate for 10 minutes. So you set the timer for 10 minutes. Then you sit as still as you can for the duration of the meditation. You bring attention to breathing. And then I don't know if you know this about attention, but it won't stay where you put it. It'll go wandering off. It'll get pulled away. And eventually you notice that. It went off. It heard that sound or you had that thought or there was that sensation in your foot. Eventually you notice that your attention went off. And you remind yourself, oh yeah, I'm meditating. I meant to have my attention on my breathing. So then you disengage from wherever your attention went, and you bring it back to breathing. And then a billionth of a second, off it goes again, back to a thought. Maybe the same thought, a new thought, a different thought. Or maybe this time it's a sound or something you see or something you hear. Maybe it's an emotion. It just goes. And then, again, eventually you notice. You remind yourself you're meditating, so you disengage, and you bring your attention back to breathing. And the duration of the meditation, this is what you're doing. Attention is going back and forth, back and forth. And you're developing some pretty important and valuable skills while you're engaged in this activity. So the first part of the practice is this staying as still as you can. It doesn't necessarily mean like a statue. It doesn't mean you can't move at all. If you're very, very fidgety and you're tapping your foot or your finger the whole time in the meditation, that's okay. Really, the instruction is sit as still as you can. Mostly what that instruction points to is don't get up and end the meditation. So mostly, meditations are slightly pleasant or slightly boring. If there was a voiceover narration of where my attention was going during a meditation, it might be something like this. Breathing. 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 Sound of the air conditioner, breathing, breathing. I see a bird flying by, breathing, breathing. Tacos. I think I'm going to have tacos for lunch today because I wanted them yesterday, but what I did was I went and got pizza instead and, oh yeah, wait, I'm meditating. Okay, so... I don't need to be paying attention to that right now. Okay, breathing, breathing, breathing. So mostly, it's trivial little things that come up. 
because most of our lives are trivial little things. And by trivial, I mean there's just a bunch of little stuff that goes on. That's what our lives are, a bunch of little stuff. So when I'm meditating, when I notice my attention goes there, it's really lightweight stuff, and I just go, okay, yeah, bring my attention back to my meditation anchor, breathing, breathing, breathing. Every once in a while, though, what happens is I'm paying attention to breathing, and then it's breathing, breathing, sound of the air conditioner, breathing, breathing. I see a bird fly by, breathing, breathing, lunch, breathing, breathing. And then here comes this really big emotion that is really unpleasant, and I really don't like it, and I hate it. And what I usually do when this emotion shows up is I jump up and scream and run out of the room, and then I go eat a gallon of ice cream, or I run for 25 miles, or I watch every single episode of every single iteration of Law and Order. On Netflix. I don't know if you know how many episodes there are and how many different iterations there are of Law and Order, but there's a lot. So that's what I usually do. And I don't know if you've ever done anything like that, literally or figuratively, but here's what happens I'm eating my ice cream, I'm eating, 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 and I'm getting toward the bottom of the gallon of ice cream that I'm eating. And a couple of things are happening. One, I'm not feeling all that well right now. But the other is we do this inevitably. If you know anything about horror films, you know how this goes. I'm eating, eating, eating. I'm starting to feel okay-ish, a little sick from the abundance of sugar. But then I wonder... Is that feeling still there? And I look over my shoulder, and it's still there. Or I'm running for 24 and a half miles, and I start to feel pretty good. I feel like I've probably outrun it by now. And inevitably, I need to check. So I look over my shoulder, and it's there. Or when you're watching, binge-watching TV episodes on Netflix, you know, the amount of time between one episode and auto-loading the the next episode, it's like 10 seconds or so. And during that 10 seconds, when I'm not really engaged with the episode that was going on, what do I do? I wonder if the feeling is still there. And it's still there. Because it's my feeling. So I do all this And it doesn't even do any good. I don't get away from it. So here's the opportunity you have when you're meditating. So if you remember the instruction to sit as still as you can, here comes the big horrible emotion that I hate, and I sit still. And one of the things I'll notice if I sit still is that I can take it. I can take it. I am bigger than any single experience I'm having. So when I sit still, I notice I can take it. I'm still clear I don't like it. I'm still clear I hate it. I don't even want to suggest or imply that if you do this right, it like the feeling goes away and you're just like bliss or some other pleasant state. No, I'm still clear the whole time it's happening. I don't like it, and I want it to go away, and it's not going away fast enough. But I can take it. And when you experience this in your body, when you pay attention to this and you notice this, you know it. You know it through your lived experience. It stays with you. And so even when something's unpleasant, your relationship to it, is a bit different because you remember this, you know this. Now, right now, I'm telling you this as a story, and I'm hoping it'll be an inspirational story. But the thing about inspirational stories is they're just stories, they're just thoughts. So there's a limit to their effectiveness. 
And often what happens when this unpleasant emotion comes along, I don't have access to other thoughts. I don't have access to the, oh yeah, I want to remember this thing consciously, cognitively, and try to use this tool right now. I'm in too much distress. What I need is to have this lived experience and this embodied knowing that I can feel whether I can access it cognitively or not, whether I can remember to try to think like that or think about it in this way at that moment. So I sit as still as I can and I put up with whatever it is that's going on. And then the other thing that I notice is it doesn't last forever. It lasts way too long but it doesn't last forever. So my perspective on it can change, which means my relationship to it changes, because one of the things that happens is this. When I run from this feeling, the perspective, metaphorically, the perspective is it's always coming after me. It's always going to get me, and it's always going to get bigger and badder. If I sit still, I'll notice that eventually it gets here and this is as big and as bad as it gets. And that's plenty big and bad. Again, I hate it the whole time this is going on, but this is as bad as it gets. It's not going to get any worse. And when you're having the experience of this is bad enough and I'm also imagining it can get so much worse, at least now I'm not caught up by that imagining. Instead, now it's just my direct experience of it's here and this is it and it's at its peak and it's not going to get any worse than this. And then inevitably, you notice it starts to walk away. So when I was moving, my perspective was it's always chasing me, it's always coming at me. But if I'm sitting still, eventually it arrives. It's right in front of me. And eventually it starts walking away. My perspective on it changes. I now get to see it peaked and diminishing. When I've been with this experience often enough, when I've been mindfully aware often enough, when I've made this effort often enough, what happens is, my relationship to this kind of phenomena changes. It's still upsetting. It's still disturbing. It's still way more intense than I want it to be. But it's less so because my relationship to it changes. So often, for example, let's say somebody is struggling with anxiety. Our idea about the best way to be free of anxiety is for anxiety not to happen but that's an idea we have about anxiety. If we really paid attention, what we want is to be bothered less by anxiety. And our idea is the best way to be bothered less by it is for it not to be present in our lives. Sometimes we get that, sometimes we don't. But what's nice about this awareness is, so anxiety can be an ongoing part of my life, but it won't bother me as much. It won't be as disruptive or as disturbing. Now, fortunately, this isn't the only thing that will happen in mindfulness and meditation. This is really good, but it's not the only thing. And, and really, this notion of I'm going to sit as still as I can and be with this, often what comes to mind with the idea of being with this is being just aware or overwhelmed by the awareness of how unpleasant it is. But remember that part of the mindfulness practice is noticing where your attention is and being able to redirect attention. So in this example, what would happen is I might notice here comes this unpleasant emotion. I don't like the emotion. But what I might notice is if I'm paying attention to body sensations, that's a different experience than what most of us are doing, which is here comes the emotion, that triggers a bunch of thoughts, and then we pay attention to the bunch of thoughts. 
Or sometimes it's the thoughts that triggered the emotion. But really what the phenomena we end up paying attention to is all the thinking about it. So in terms of knowing where your attention is and making an effort to redirect your attention, what you would be doing in this example is noticing the emotion, noticing the thoughts, noticing the body tightness, and redirecting your attention to breathing. Just feeling breathing happening. And to the extent that your attention stays with the physical sensation of breathing, the thoughts aren't as powerful. The emotion isn't as powerful. Even the body won't stay as tense, as tight. But mostly you can only keep your attention on breathing for a fraction of a second. It goes right back to this storm of suffering. And then that's not evidence of failure. That's evidence of I need to keep practicing. So you notice your attention goes back. Notice where your attention is. Is it in the thinking? Is it in the emotion? Is it in the physical sensation? One of the benefits of recognizing these different component parts of your experience is that then instead of this monolithic, what feels like an overwhelming experience, it starts to break it apart a little bit, which diminishes its power. Because to the extent that you recognize the thinking that's happening and you recognize it as thinking, still powerful, still upsetting, still disturbing, but not as powerful as it is when it's also accompanied by certain emotions or certain physical sensations. So there goes your attention. You notice, you acknowledge, you bring attention back to breathing. And back it goes. And you keep doing this back and forth, back and forth. And this back and forth is the strength building of your ability to redirect attention. Now, again, this is an example of like when something really awful is going on, really intense is going on. Mostly meditations are slightly pleasant or slightly boring because they're lightweight thoughts happening, lightweight emotions happening, lightweight physical sensations that are happening. But this example is when it's not lightweight, this is what you do. You sit as still as you can. You notice when attention gets pulled to that thing. You notice and acknowledge what that thing is. And you practice disengaging and redirecting your attention to some other aspect of your experience. In this instance, what's nice about bringing attention to breathing is It doesn't even have to be interesting. It just has to be the place that I brought my attention because I've been practicing bringing my attention. Part of what I like about this practice is the audacity of I'm doing this just because I decided to do this. I'm going to do this regardless of my mood. I'm going to do this regardless of the force or the power of any thinking that's happening or any emotions that are happening or any body sensations. I'm going to sit as still as I can just because I decided to. And then when my attention is pulled or forced somewhere, I'll notice and acknowledge. And then again, the audacity, I'm going to disengage and redirect my attention just because I decided to just because I decided to. Now, again, it takes some practice to get to the place where you can just decide. In my earlier example, right, it was easy enough to make that decision when I was thinking about lunch and I wasn't starving. It's harder with this unpleasant emotion, but it's still the same practice, and I benefit regardless. So the meditation is, I decide how long I want to sit. I sit as still as I can for the duration of the meditation. I bring attention to breathing. It goes off someplace. Sometimes it wanders off. Sometimes it's pulled away. I notice. I disengage my attention. And I bring it back to breathing. Breathing is called an anchor in this example because it's the place you keep 
bringing attention back to. I'm describing using breathing as an anchor. Really, you can use any physical sensation as an anchor. Some people find it easier to use sight as an anchor. So you look at a spot on the wall, or you look at a flickering candle flame. You can use hearing as an anchor. Some people like to use white noise, or they like to use uh, sounds of nature as an anchor. Keep bringing your attention to the sounds you hear. Keep bringing attention to the sight you see. Some people will use their entire body as the anchor. Some people will use the sensations in the palms of their hands or in their feet as they're standing or doing a walking meditation. Sometimes you can use an anchor like a phrase, like a mantra. One of the things I like about using physical sensations as an anchor is they're always happening right here, right now. So in some ways they're they're not particularly ambiguous. It's I can bring my attention to breathing and it's happening. Really, the only question is, is it an inhale or is it an exhale? Or if I have a more refined focus of attention, where during the inhale is it right now? Or where during the exhale is it right now? So I sit as still as I can for the duration of the meditation. I engage in this process. I bring attention to my anchor. My attention wanders off. Eventually I notice, I acknowledge, I disengage, I redirect my attention back to my anchor. And I do this until the end of the meditation. And then I get up and I do whatever it is I'm going to do next. Sometimes mindfulness meditation is called insight meditation because one of the things that happens is when attention goes somewhere and you recognize where it went, you recognize it for what it is, you learn a lot about you. And you don't have to study or analyze, you just notice. So if, for example, you're meditating and you bring attention to breathing and it goes off to that thought again, you start to notice, wow, I think that thought a lot. <laughs> or you notice, wow, I really don't like the experience of this particular emotion that's happening. Or you notice something like there's this little sensation going on in my lower back and that little sensation brings up these emotions or brings up these thoughts, you start to learn a lot about you. And instead of just doing the things, right? So if it's unpleasant trying to get away from it, or if it's pleasant trying to get to it or hold on to it, you start to notice how you are. And then because you're noticing how you are, you start to have some choice about how you are. If that's something I want to do, I'm doing it out of conditioning or reactivity, and I'm okay with that, great, I'm okay with that. And if it's something I want to be different, I now have a choice. I want to say something about the meditation anchor. So, a meditation anchor is just a, a location to put attention, and its real value is in helping you notice when attention has gone somewhere else. So you don't have to have laser-like attention. It's not a failure that your attention moves from your anchor. That's just the way it is. So really, what you're practicing with mindfulness is it's a point of reference. And sometimes it's that my attention isn't where I left it. That's the reminder to pay attention. And then I go find out where my attention went, and then I bring it back. So really... You're not trying to have laser-like attention, and it's not failure if your attention moves. You want attention to move, and why not, since that's inevitable. That's when you get the chance to learn more about yourself. So let's try a meditation. Now, this is just one way of meditating. Again, there are lots of different ways of meditating, lots of different ways to do a mindfulness meditation. But for our purposes this time, we're going to use 
breathing as the meditation anchor. And what you might do is find a comfortable posture. So for now, if you'd like, you can be standing, you can sit, you can lie down, whatever feels comfortable for you. The posture isn't as important right now as the practice. So you can either pause this until you're in the location and in the posture that you'd like, or if you're already there, then we can just continue. Let's do a meditation. Try it out. You might start this meditation by noticing where your attention is right now. Maybe it's focused on the thinking that's happening. Maybe it's focused on some emotions or a mood that's happening. Maybe it's focused on some body sensations happening. Maybe it's focused on some combination of these different aspects of your being. You might start the meditation just by noticing where attention is. And then bring it to the body. Depending on your posture, whether you're standing or sitting or lying down, and depending on whether your eyes are open or closed, you might feel the places where your body makes contact with something. If you're standing, you might notice where the feet make contact with the ground. Or if you're sitting, you might notice where the body makes contact with the chair. If you're lying down, you might notice all the places in the body that are making contact with whatever surface it is you're lying upon. These sensations are probably pretty easy to notice, pretty easy to feel, pretty easy to be aware of. You might notice, feel, whatever other sensations are happening in the body right now. If you notice any places where there's tension or tightness, you might make a gentle effort to let go of as much of that as you can. You won't be able to let go of all of it. Depending on your posture, some of it's needed to sustain your posture. It's also needed to sustain your effort at paying attention. But you might notice that there's some you can let go of for now. Maybe there's some body tightness or tension that's left over from something earlier in the day and isn't needed anymore. Or maybe you notice there's some tension or tightness in anticipation of something that might happen later in the day, but that tension and tightness isn't needed yet. Or you might notice some places where you're holding tension and tightness just out of habit. And now that you're mindfully aware you have a choice, you can either leave that tension and tightness there, feel it, and observe its effects. Or for now, you might make a gentle effort to let go of as much of it as you can.
You might feel the body breathing. You might feel how the body breathes on its own. You don't have to make it breathe. You don't have to breathe in any particular way. You might bring attention to breathing and just feel it happening. You can use breathing as an anchor to the present moment. It only happens in the present moment and it's always happening. So whenever tension wanders off or gets pulled away, when you notice, gently bring attention back to breathing, back to feeling breathing happening. You might notice thinking happening. You might notice emotions or mood happening. You might be aware of other physical sensations happening or sight or sound. If attention goes to any of these places, that's not a problem. It's just where attention goes, or where attention went. You just notice, acknowledge, and gently bring attention back to breathing, back to feeling, breathing happening. Just breathing, letting attention rest with breathing, or letting breathing be a place to refocus attention, a place to restart the effort at paying attention, just feeling the physical sensations of breathing. Noticing where attention is now, and wherever it is is okay. It may not be where you intended it to be, 
But there it is. So you just notice and acknowledge and gently bring attention back to breathing. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership, where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.